Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex podcast. I'm Shelly, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Mr. Serge Boudreaux. Serge, how are you? I'm just going to start com- stop commenting on how many times you call me lovely and handsome. It seems like an episode, every episode, that's what you say. And uh, I love it because um, I get more compliments than you than anyone else, so I'll take it. But, uh, <laughs> another beautiful day in the Rocky Mountains, a it beautiful is? summer as we are talking recently, so Good two days have, of summer is here. Two days of summer, exactly. <laughs> two days. We get two days. <laughs> well, we have a massive show. So when yes. we talk about, we've had like amazing guests on on the Recruitment Flex, but I, I don't know if we've uh, ever had a guest that is so HR famous, as you would call it, as Tim mm-hmm. Sackett. Uh, it's so the real deal. Tim. Tim, the real deal. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a micro celebrity kind of day, right? Exactly. Yes, and, uh, yes. Welcome. Can I call you lovely as well? Or is that, <laughs> oh, please. Uh, no, okay. that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let me introduce Tim. So I actually really got to know, and when I say no, by reading his book, and I'm like, I got to know more about this guy. So the book, and I, I rank it as my number one recruitment book, and there's plenty of good ones. So you're, that's really good standing. So nice. Tim is the author of The Talent Fix. So all recruitment professionals that are listening to this podcast, go buy it right now. Get it on Amazon. Mandatory now. reading. Mandatory reading, yep. especially if you're a TA leader. Um, like, And I really enjoyed it because I'd been on the vendor side for 10 years. Then I took a job as a TA director. And really, a lot of it is is so different being a vendor and being on the other side and be like, okay, now I need to figure out exactly how to execute all the great ideas I have. So your book was genius for that. Um, Tim is also the president of HRU Technical Resources. And I think you've had that company for 11 years? I've been running it for like 11 years. My mom actually started it. So the company is like 40 years old. and. And so, yeah, I, I tell people I was born into recruiting. So um, parents got divorced when I was really young. So single mom, raising two kids, starting a business. And I remember like literally sitting on her bed and she would turn the volume off on the TV and she would make recruiting calls. And then she would like have the phone on her ear and she'd be filling out stuff and and we would like stuff envelopes for her and then she would address them and send them out. And so my sister wow. and I kind of kind of grew up around hearing that. So like when I, when I hear recruiting, like she, you know, she's passed, but like, I mean, she was the best recruiter that I've ever seen. She could talk anybody into anything. Like it was ridiculous, you know, and that she just had that way about her. So, I mean, obviously fortunate to, to grow up with that and that influence. And, and then she, you know, built a successful company that I was able to come in and not screw up yet. So that's nice. Yeah. Right. So still got some time. For sure. Uh, so the other thing to check out that Tim has is his blog. So the Fistful of Talent HR blog is one that I probably start subscribing right after I read your book. I, I highly recommend it as well. It's, it's really good insights, some great articles that have come out of it. And also if another great podcast to listen to, and there's so many great ones in recruitment, but I, I do think this is a really good one. And I yeah. think it goes perfectly. I, I just love the title. I love your basically Kate Hudson um, logo as well for HR Famous, which 
it's so the almost famous movie yeah yeah exactly i I think it's um the whole micro celebrity in our world is it's really intriguing to me and i definitely think you fit that mold uh in that sense so welcome tim really uh really excited to have you on no it's great to great to have be on and um so and then like in my HR famous crew is Chris Dunn and Jessica Lee and Chris Dunn is actually the one who started Fistful. Mm-hmm. And came on. I came on really early, so I've been writing with them like ten years, and then and then we've actually now combined to run it, um, and so we have some exciting things planned for Fistful of Talent. Um, but Chris was the one that got me to start writing every day. So I've been writing every day at timsacket.com Yeah, going on nine years. And it, it started out, it's called wow. the Tim Sackett Project because I was like, Chris, like, I don't know if I could write every day. He's like, do it for one year and we'll just call it a project. And once the project's done, it'll just live there forever and you can just go back to doing whatever. And that was nine years ago. I've been writing every day. So, and people I go, do you write every day? And I'm like, well, not every day. I, I post every day. I don't, I usually write like a few days a week and certain things. So. It's interesting because like we're definitely seeing a trend, like the whole recruitment community uh, as far as looking for that content to read. It's really grown in the last, say, two to three years to a point that we have a really strong recruitment community. I know we do in Canada and I'm assuming it's very similar in the U.S. because like they all travel in the same circle. A lot of the public speakers, different events, it's, it's very similar people. So it, it is a small world in that sense. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed like a huge uptick in, I guess, community in the recruitment world? Well, and what we saw was it used to be when I first started, there was like just a handful. You had like Lori Rudiman and, yeah. um, you know, Chris Dunn and John Sumsner and William Tincup and some of these really kind of big names that wrote a lot. And now Chris is really the only one besides myself that still writes every day. Lori has her podcast. That's really yeah. great too. So, um, and then she's got a book coming out in 2021. But there's been some of those originals. What we saw the different. I think now we see such such great content coming out of the vendor community. It used to be the content that came out of vendor community was all pseudo salesy kind of stuff, yeah. right? Like, oh, for here's sure. what we do by us. That was content. Now they're yeah. like, yeah. oh, we're going to tell you exactly how to create an entire recruitment marketing plan, and and then you're like, holy crap, that's really good. And it has nothing to do with their product, which is great content. And I think when you talk about the tens of thousands of HR tech companies and recruiting tech companies that are out there, and then having them all have marketing people that are producing content that that's that level, it's it it is a little overwhelming sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But there's nothing like if you're a recruiting or HR practitioner in the field, like in the weeds there's really nothing you can't learn if you want to go out and search for it and find it. Like it's all out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, the info is definitely all out there. And it's, it's been interesting to see how much content, cause I agree with you. And, and like, even look at, maybe we shouldn't even say it, but indeed has some of the greatest content. Like they're indeed prime. Uh, I've leveraged it as far as coming into the tech space and recruitment into it. So yeah, you're right. The vendors have been doing an amazing job and it's really interesting in the recruitment tech world and we'll spend some time on that, but there is so much noise overall, like just in context, there's so many different vendors. There's so many different voices. So it's really interesting. But before we get into it, you know, one of the things that I've heard you say multiple times, and I'm really, and I'm really interested here. So, you're known as the hugger of HR. So, or I don't know how if I'm even describing the world's that foremost now. expert in workplace workplace hugging. Yeah, so, I didn't give myself that title, by the way. No, you didn't. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, let's talk about how are you doing? Like, how are you doing right now? Because obviously you're not hugging anyone. It's really or maybe funny. you are. This week and I, 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 was, I was walking. Yeah, I, I hug my dog a lot. I was walking into a bakery 
um, a local bakery and saw um, a former coworker. We both had masks on and I just literally ran up to hug her and she was like panicked. She was just like, Oh, I don't, can we, uh, like too late. We both have COVID now. I don't know. Like we're going to hug. Like, I don't know. Um, so I, I still, I mean, obviously less, um, right now, but, uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to change. Like I is, you know, huggers are huggers are going to keep hugging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't blame you. Well, let's, let's change topic a little bit. And I mean, one of the main reasons and I, I mentioned is uh, the talent fix was one of a recruitment book that I read that I'm like, that I've read several times, not all in one shot, but I'll go back to a particular chapter and dig in deep uh, to see what your thoughts are. And actually what's interesting after I read the talent fix, it actually encouraged me to go speak at Disrupt HR, which I had my first, um, talk there where I talk of why HR sucks at recruitment. And there's a lot of points from your book that definitely just tied into exactly what I was talking about. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration of the talent fix. Why did you decide to write a book and how did it all come together? So when you start writing on the internet, like when I started blogging like 11 years ago, um, a weird thing happens. Um, People think you know what you're talking about. They're like, oh gosh, I found it on the internet. It must be true. You know, <laughs> I think nowadays we kind of question more of the content we see on the internet and go, wait a minute, is that fake? Is that like some Russian robot trying to get me to do something or whatever? Um, but back in the day, like it was crazy how the audience would, um, would, in, would react and interact. And when you're writing every day, that audience just starts to build. And, and then what happens is like people that read you every day, they tend to have this personal relationship. Like I read, there's certain bloggers that I read outside of the space too, where I go, and it was funny, I actually just reached out to one. I, I like, I love reading economist stuff because I love data, right? Yeah. And so I had my middle son just graduated and, and I have a younger son who's going to college. I'm like, oh, I really want one of them to be an economist. So I just reached out to this person, you know, who's like a, a writer on like, you know, Bloomberg and like, you know, huge kind of thing. And, but like, you just feel like you have this personal relationship with them where you can ask them for things. And so literally every single day, multiple times a day, I have somebody sending me a note and it usually is like, read the book, read your blog, whatever, very, you know, so you're like, oh my gosh, so thankful. And then it's with a question. I am in charge of developing the entire recruitment strategy for our multinational company. Can you give me some tips? <laughs> you're just like, Can I have some free uh, advice? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 Please? And you, but you, I get it. Like, I, you know, um, and so I, so it got to the point where, you know, I kept getting pushed from a lot of my friends to say, you should just, you know, write a book, write a book, write a book. And so I decided to write the book of if you had me come into your company as a consultant or you hired me to run talent acquisition at your organization, what would I do? And literally that's how I ran through it. Like every single thing I could think by chapter, like here's where I would start. And you, you know, like one of the biggest pieces to me is the foundational side of the the big question of who owns talent in your organization it starts yeah. right there yeah. and that and i've actually had that experience with like three you know really large companies where they they were ready to offer me the job to run talent acquisition and i i got to ask that question like yo do you have any questions and this is obviously after multiple rounds of interviews and you know you kind of have you know that offers coming and and you're like, who owns talent? And they're just like, they're, they're on the seat of their, they're just like, they can't wait for you to ask the question. Cause they're like, Tim, you own it. You know? And they're just, and they're so excited that they got that answer. Right. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I, I don't want this job. I don't want that. And then they're like, Oh, wait a minute. No, like we were, you're there. You're our guy. We're going to hire you. And I'm just like, 
if I own talent, I don't want that job. And then there's that whole explanation, right? Because that's where great talent acquisition starts is with leadership understanding who truly owns it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, also kind of talking about the book and, and I know from my experience as well that um, recruiting isn't hard, but we have kind of complicated it. So where do you think that stems from? Well, I mean, part of it's psychology, right? And I, I'm a big fan of psychology. So I think part of it is, is, and we do this in HR a lot as well. It's not just recruiting. And I think, well, I mean, we could probably pick out any function in the organization, pick out individuals that do this. If you think about yeah. something that's super easy, if it's easy, there, might, there must not be a lot of value to it, right? I can pet a puppy. Yeah. It's super easy. It's super enjoyable. No one's going to pay me to pet a puppy. But if, I, if it's really difficult to pet a puppy, like it's going to bite my arm off unless I do it exactly right or blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden now there's some value to that. And so we, as, as individuals, try to make our jobs seem much more complex and harder to do than, than, than they really are. Mm-hmm. And that, but therein lies the failure of most, what I would say most HR functions or most talent acquisition functions is that we try to make it complex versus simple. If we make, because what the reality is, is to make something super simple is really hard. It's to, very get, hard. to get somebody to apply to a job in one click, even with our current landscape and technology the way it yeah. is, it's yeah. really hard. Yeah. And yet, yeah. you know, we don't. We go, oh, no, we have a 45-step process and blah, 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 and all this. And we, we whiteboard it out and we have flowcharts. And then you're just like, you spent six months building this. Why? Like, it doesn't have to be this hard. It should be much simpler. And, and I always go back to, like, why do people buy an iPhone versus an Android versus a Google phone versus whatever? The Apple phone is so not easy. better. I mean, it's so easy. Yeah. Like my parents can set up an iPhone and yeah. it's not a better technology. It's an easier yeah. technology. They made it simple, right? You click yeah. on it. It works. You, you know, they're like, oh, do you know your email address? Boom, put it in. Oh my gosh, my email showed up. Like it can't get any easier, you know? And, and yet we try to make it complex. No, I, I agree with that. And, and the interesting thing in working in different recruitment departments, what I find is everyone in the organization thinks recruitment is really easy in itself. And, and how I answer it is recruiting's not hard. People are hard. Uh, and I think that's a challenge and yeah. that there's a different skill set that is needed to, to be able to get these people, first of all, sold on the opportunity. And that like starts from your employment brand. There's so many different steps that are involved in that. Recruiting itself should be really easy. And I've come into organizations where we've overcomplicated the amount of process that we put together. And the first thing I do is like, let's tear it down. Let's start from scratch. Instead of 32 mm-hmm. steps, let's have three. Instead of having six people interview, let's have three. Like it, it is a lot easier to break yeah. it down. So I, well, I, I love think that. that there's, there's, that, there's that difference too between hiring is easy. Recruiting is more difficult, right? If, I, if all I'm going to do is post a job on a career site, Mm-hmm. see who applies and then hire one of those people. I can, I can, I can literally pay somebody 12 bucks an hour to do that job because there's yeah. nothing easier in the world. And yet we're paying corporate recruiters, $8,500,000 a year just to do that. And I can literally teach a monkey. In fact, AI robots will do that much more efficiently and they'll do it 24 <laughs> seven. Right. And so, but if you have to go out and hunt for somebody and then talk them into coming to work for your company that has average pay and average benefits and an average location and an average manager. That's really hard to do to tell, to have somebody trust you with their life and their career to say, here's why we think this is going to be better for you and build that trust. Um, 
that's the difficult piece. And then you realize that unlike the three of us, you know, most people have a really fearful, you know, a fear of picking up that phone and actually talking to a person. <laughs> and then there's a few crazy ones like us that don't like, there's like, yep, yeah, I can, you know, I'll send you a million messages. We can talk, we can talk about whatever. And it works really well, but most people aren't like that. Right. So, you know, you, you touched on something there that I, I'm wondering if you could just kind of expand on. And that is, you know, if, you know, if the unfortunate event is that you've joined a company who's maybe small or starting up or, um, you know, I've, I've worked for firms that were kind of like this hidden gem, but they, they have, they can't compete with, um, the big brands, you know, that have big, uh, marketing departments and they've got great presence. Even what they do may not be that sexy. So is there a way, do you think for companies to, to really compete? Like if they may need the same talent, but you're up against the stronger consumer brand, is there some simple things that they should be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, part of it's to focus on your the strength that you have in the position that you're in versus the negatives. Like we tend to always, especially um, when we, we're under-resourced, we want to focus and say, oh, well, we, we're not Google. Well, guess what? Nobody is Google's a unicorn, right? <laughs> I mean, and mm-hmm. so don't, you know, but yet we have some CEO comes down and says, oh, I saw Google's recruiting on the Twitters now. We should do the same thing. And you're just like, shut up. Don't, you don't have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know, up, they, send, they, yeah, <laughs> like they burn a billion dollars in their front lawn, you know, like, and like just to, you know, create a smoke screen, like no one really knows what happens there. Right. So exactly. Um, it's but not no, that I glamorous think, I hear. <laughs> it's really not. But, but I do think it, so you focus on what you're good at because there's going to mm. be a certain part of the population that does want to come work for a smaller firm or a firm that's in your city versus a big city versus like, it's finding that segment. Right. And I always tell people, you know, like, you know, for me and like my own company, like I, I would put my team up against anybody because I found people whose crazy matches my crazy. And that might not be necessarily super politically correct to say, because I know you're not supposed to say crazy, but that's, yeah, careful. I haven't found better <laughs> words yet. Right. I haven't found better. So I'm their crazy you. matches my crazy and we're mm-hmm. all, we're all the same. And that's really what recruiting is about. And that's what fit is about. It's not about finding, we find the best talent in a marketplace. I don't need the best talent in the marketplace. I need the person that can do the job that's talented enough that also will put up with all the garbage that we have, all of our hickeys, yeah. all the ugly stuff, but all yeah. the great stuff as well. And guess what? They're out there, but you just they have are. to find them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Great advice. Thank we, you, Tim. Instead, instead we go, oh, we're going to focus on someone that has five years at Facebook and graduated yeah. from Harvard. And you're like, guess they're not coming to Calgary. You know, yeah. you, it's not going to happen. Not so anytime not, soon anyway. It's <laughs> not focused there, right? Yeah. One yeah. interesting thing in your book, and I, I have to admit a failing on my end. So I never thought retention was a talent mm. acquisition. Um, Nobody should does. live in our world. And, no, I, I didn't. I've Except said my that book. for years. Yeah. I have said that for 10 years. Well, well, I haven't. So I'll put that in perspective. Hey, it's just many times I've said I've always, and I, I'm guilty of this, so I'm admitting it. That yeah. I've had, uh, so say our retentions numbers suck. My pushback was, well, the hiring manager is responsible to makes the final decision. How is that my fault if I brought? That's the such a vendor response. I, I, I know, <laughs> right? I know. So if you're, that's what staffing firms have drilled into your head from day one. I did eleven years in the staffing industry, and that is exactly what they said: was, "Hey, you've got no control over how they treat them." Yeah, yeah, really. So, Talk about that, Tim. Yeah. Like, Go on, more in depth why you feel that 
talent acquisition owns retention and why I was wrong until I read your I was, book. Oh. I was just going to sit and listen to you guys argue with each other. Oh. No, um, <laughs> we bicker. It's okay. Yeah, we bicker a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, we bicker. Um, no, so for me, it's it was it's been... I take it more from the corporate side of HR. So usually what happens is talent acquisition will go find them, you know, get them hired and then HR takes over. And what happens is it's really easy. And I've, and I've worked both sides, corporate HR and talent acquisition, right? So I've been in the job. It was easy for me as an HR pro leader to go and say that person was a bad fit or a bad hire. We made a bad selection or they're not performing well, fire them. Because guess what? It cost me no extra work to fire them. It was just, maybe it was uncomfortable, but I could fire them, boom, go back to recruiting and say, find me another because the work went back to recruiting. Now, so my push was always, when I got to talent acquisition and I saw this happening, I was like, oh man, I can't believe the amount of stuff that we threw on talent acquisitions back because as, as hiring managers, leaders, people leaders and HR we're unwilling to do the heavy work of making this person better than what, than what they should have, right? Most of the failings had nothing to do besides it was our own failings. And so when we hired that person, when we made the selection, we thought, oh my gosh, this person's going to be a piece of garbage. We can't wait to have them start. No, that was not what we said. We said, That's they're going to be a rock star. They're going to be awesome. Yeah. And then we turned them into a piece of garbage, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was if talent acquisition would actually own retention. And, and, and I got to see the microcosm of this when I worked at mm-hmm. Applebee's where we put a team together that when somebody was going to turn over or we knew somebody was going to turn over, the team got together and really did some self insight around what, where did we fail on this person? How can we save this person right now? What can we do before we truly allow this person to leave our organization? And so, um, and so, and so, and what we found was that a lot of times recruiting would go, Hey, I know you all three of you right now are voting just to can this person, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to take us six months to find a replacement where they would go, Oh, uh, I can't go six months without a person. Mm-hmm. Well, let's have some conversations then on how we're going to deal with this. And, and it really led to really deeper conversations around, okay, let's go back and put them on a performance plan. Let's go back and do some training. Let's go back and, you know, figure out, you know, what's, what's failing. Maybe if we put them with a different manager, different leader, and that was more directed, they would be better. And like, it's shocking to me how you would have somebody failing with one leader and then you make a change and in a month, they're a completely different person and they're a superstar. And you're just like, wait a minute. And it wasn't that that leader they were with was bad. It was just a different style they had versus what that person needed to succeed. And so it it allowed us to really see that. So I go back to where does the work end up? And if the work ends up on talent acquisition, I want to be on the front side of how I can stop that work from coming back to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good point. There's a follow-up on that on the book. And your experience at Applebee's was really intriguing as well. And how you handle when someone was going potentially was going to leave. Can you talk a little bit about what your process there? I think it'd be interesting for the audience. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, it was a certain level. We didn't do it at every position. Now, I, I mean, I, I'd say that I say that it ended up going to every position, but at different le- different levels of things that you would actually do. So we called it a save strategy. It started out at the general manager level. So if you think of an Applebee's restaurant, it's usually one head manager and then a lot of other smaller managers. Not, I mean, less you know, responsibility managers and the general manager of a well-run Applebee's 
would probably net the company 500000 to a $1 million a year. Wow. A well-run. A really bad general manager of that same restaurant would cost us a quarter of a million dollars. So wow. here's a, a million dollar, million and a half dollar swipe between bad and great, right? And so when somebody would come to us, like a general manager would come and they'd say, hey, putting my two-week notice in, and they were great. And you, you would go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, what, what, like oh, I got another offer. Well, yeah, I'm going across the street to a Chili's. They're paying me $10,000 more. Well, if you're making me a million, mm-hmm. I'm not letting you go for 10000 <laughs> And so, right. but there was, other, there was other weird things, right? We had, I know um, there was a classic example of a, of a female manager that we had, single mom, worked her butt off. She, she, she was actually a, a, a manager of the year two years in a row and was a general manager of a training location. She was amazing. Um, we put her like literally on posters, right? Like how good she was. And she was like, um, her youngest or her only child was getting ready to play soccer and had the games on Saturday and her leader above her was his, his rule was if you're the general manager of a restaurant, you know, you had to work Saturday. You had to come in that Saturday morning. You had to open, right? That was, you had to do that. And she was going to miss every one of her kids' soccer games. And she was like, I'm going to go work for another company because they'll let me take Saturdays off. And he was just said, okay, but you're going to have to go. And we were just wow. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. And, but we yeah. got to the point where we would actually send that general manager as soon as they said, hey, or we figured out like, hey, they're, they're going to go. Whether sometimes it was they came to us, sometimes we kind of heard through the grapevine, whatever it was, they were still working for us, Right we would put them on a plane and send them to the corporate office where they would meet with the CEO, COO, CHRO. Um, and those people that was, and they knew we had the senior C-suite leadership said, no matter what we were doing, we are going to, we'll change our schedules or calendars, or whatever. We were going to meet with that general manager. And I will tell you about 40% of them came back from those meetings automatically just because of that meeting said, I'm staying. I can't believe that you, thought so much of me that you were going to send and let me tell my story in front of the three highest people in the company. Um, and so that's how this kind of started. And then internally at a restaurant level, if you had your top server, your top bartender, your top cook that was going to leave, they started doing this internally where they'd say, Hey, sit down with these managers, sit down with the GM. Um, let's really talk. And then what we would actually usually bring in like regional people that would sit down with that person and talk with them and say, what, why, where do we fail? Right. Um, how can we make this better for you? How can we keep you? Um, and that retention strategy alone, now I didn't keep everybody, but like I said, we ended up with about a 40% save and we didn't measure save until a year later. So we couldn't just say, oh, they decided to stay yeah. and, they, and then a month later they turned over anyways. It was, they had to stay for at least a year before we considered it a save. Wow. Very cool. Super wow. powerful. Yeah. That is super powerful. And what, like a couple of really great lessons out of, out of what you just shared. Uh, was certainly like understand the business first and foremost, business acumen um, and being able to understand what is the value to the business. Right. And what I also heard you say was that the CEO, the COO, the top executive owned talent. Yeah. That they would clear their calendar. So, wow. Wow. That is amazing. You hear a lot of executives say, Oh, it's all about people. It's people first company. 
And then yet they, they wouldn't even step into an operations environment and say, and yeah. shake an employee's hand. Right. Um, and, and so there's, there's a, oh, there's yeah. a huge disconnect between leadership speak and leadership mm-hmm. action. And, and we didn't have that at Applebee's. They, like I was, I was an HR executive and my first six weeks on the job at Applebee's was in a restaurant, literally working on the, the cook line, literally working on the dish machine, literally working behind the bar and doing nothing with HR. Like they made me understand the business first so that wow. when I traveled from store to store to store, or I mean, restaurant to restaurant, we call them stores. Yeah. Um, if, if I would came in on a lunch hour, and the place was completely in the weeds and craziness. And there's a line an hour long. Roll up your sleeves, I, bud. <laughs> I, yeah, I would jump on the line and yeah. start doing stuff, right? Yeah. Um, because that was the number one thing was to take care of the guests. And, and then also show those employees like that was the job, right? Like this yeah. is what we're going to do. Yeah. I can't tell you how many like dress clothes I ruined doing that. but <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, when you, when you talk about being um, like the executive leader of HR, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts myself around what I believe is a, an effective structure for talent acquisition teams or departments. Um, can you give us your expert insight into what you believe kind of are the components of, of what's a really effective talent acquisition team? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is, is, is not being disconnected from the operations. And so figuring out a way to make sure that you're, that you're tightly wound there. Um, you know, and it, it starts with like little things. Like I know when I worked at the health system, when I first got there, they never met with hiring managers. They would send emails back and forth. They would do like, you know, do you need a change on this job description? No. Okay. They throw it up. And I started making them go every single time, every single opening that they wanted hired and meet face to face with those hiring managers and have these discussions, um, starting to walk, you know, the the floor with the nursing manager and hear what's going on because it's not just about that opening. It's about why that opening, it's about the continue opening. It's about something else that's happening. Like you have to really understand because if you're going to go and sell a great talent on why they should come work for that leader, yeah. You need to be able to share what that leader is all about. Um, or if you have a challenging leader, same thing, you have to kind of be able to share that and you have to make sure yeah. you have the right personality coming in that can deal with that. So I think it's, it's the willingness um, to get out into the environment. Now, again, in a remote work world in, you know, a disparate talent acquisition team where you're going right. across, you know, multiple locations, more difficult, but it's still not, you still can make it happen, right? You can do it through the different kind of communication tools that we have, whether that's on video or whatever, mm-hmm. we, you know, we have to be able to do that. I think, you know, again, it's, I, I'm a big advocate of building the right tech stack around talent acquisition in that you own your tech stack, not IT, not the CFO, not anybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to go out and you have to make it work. And, and also if you have a piece of technology that you say you want to switch, I first want to know that you're a super user of the technology you want to change, mm-hmm. right? Are you, are you actually using the ATS that you have? Mm-hmm. And I, and this is one of the biggest questions I get from TA leaders every single week off. Somebody will say, Hey Tim, can you recommend an ATS? We currently have X. And we want to move to something else. Yeah. And I'll say, what? and sometimes X is the best on the market, right? Or one of the top five on the market. And I'll say, wow. why do you want to leave X? Oh, right. our team's only using 25% of it. That's a you problem. That's not an X problem, no. right? That's, that's you have a problem, not the, not the technology. What I, what I hear is that you're going to get a new technology and they're going to use 25% of it. 
<laughs> and, yeah. you know, and they go, oh, uh, uh, uh. and so I'm like, first you should reimplement, you know, go back through, you know, kind of roll it out again. Um, but what I find most of the time is it's, it's a leader that's unwilling to, you know, hold their team accountable to use the tech that they have. Um, they're unwilling mm-hmm. to measure, um, you know, and this is another problem I have with talent acquisition reporting into the head of HR is that I think a lot of HR lends itself to soft metrics and recruiting lends itself to really hard metrics. Mm -hmm. And yet we allow talent acquisition leaders because they're HR to develop really soft metrics. Oh, we hire hiring manager satisfaction. I don't care what your hiring manager says about a recruiter. I have had the worst recruiters in the world have the best hiring manager satisfaction. And I've had the, the best recruiters in the world. The hiring managers hate them because they're pushing them constantly to make sure that to get things done quickly, to make sure they make the right decisions. And so for me, hiring manager satisfaction has zero correlation to recruitment ability. And so there's all kinds of stuff like that that we see where we say, get away from the soft metrics, go to hard metrics, let me see the funnel. Are they really doing the work? Um, and I've done this transition in a lot of like Fortune 500 companies. And I always tell the head of TA, head of HR, it's usually the head of HR, hey, about half your team is going to quit in 90 days. And they go, oh God, Tim, no, 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 they won't. You know, these are good people. We've been, they've been here a long time. They're a great team. And in 90 days, we have the conversation. They're like, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that they actually weren't recruiting. <laughs> yes. And so well, that I, I've got to ask, I do have to ask, where, what should the reporting structure be? Because I know Serge and I um, have a really strong opinion on um, talent acquisition and and I know I'm I'm kind of I'm getting the vibe here that you're you're saying that it needs to be directly to the executive if the executive believes they own talent um, is it, but I don't want to conclude that but is that what is what is your position on where should talent acquisition report um, you know, I've seen it done a lot of ways and be successful. And I think they all, they all go around reporting to a leader that understands sales and marketing technology and metrics and, and how that works. Right. So it doesn't have to be to a marketing leader or a revenue leader. It could be to the CFO. If they understand data really well and understand what per, and how to performance manager really well, it could go to the CHRO. I, um, I like, CHROs and CPOs, chief people officers, where it's, it's separated, especially if you're in an organization where talent is a true differentiator in competitiveness, right? At that point, if that's what you're saying as a leader, then let HR run HR and all the stuff that's important there. But then you need to have a, a, a chief people officer run talent in a way that they need to run as well that's reporting directly into that C-suite and not through somebody else that doesn't truly even like t- recruiting and talent acquisition or understand it. And that's what we see a lot, right? We see a lot of great CHROs, well-meaning people that truly have no idea how difficult it is to yeah. recruit. And, and yet they're the ones running recruiting and, you know, and, and, and usually you see a lot of failure, you know, in that. Okay. So that's not just a Canadian thing that, you know, that HR people, I've, I've sat across from a director, an executive of HR, VP of HR, where they said, I hate recruiting. Like my skin yeah. crawls at the thought of recruiting. And you're going to let that function report into that person? Like, exactly. I don't even understand why you would. So for why? me, yeah. if, if I had, if I, if I had that, that situation, I would automatically go to marketing and say to the CMO, 
I want recruiting to report into you because there's so much of what we do in recruiting yeah. is really yeah. traditional marketing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, it's the same. I mean, our tech yes. stack has become so marketing focused now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how we, how we go and build talent pipelines, everything is just nurture marketing. And so for me, I think it would be really successful. And yet you see it's, it's some of this is just organizational empire building where you see CHRs go, no, like I get such strong reactions to that. Yeah, and yet the CMOS are like, oh, for sure, I I, I know exactly what I would do <laughs> with that <Yeah>. function. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because the flip side to it, and I've I, I got to admit, most of um, most of the HR leaders that I've reported into it, it's the head of TA hate recruitment. The flip side is they're allowing me to do whatever is needed and they're really Could giving nice. me full yeah. authority. Yeah. So I've really enjoyed that flip side because I'm really running it. And at the end of the day, they, as long as the business is not coming back and we're not executing, they're happy as uh, so. Is I, I totally get where you're coming from, but in, in every case that I've worked really close with the head of marketing, I, I truly believe that recruitment is oh, it's very closely related to marketing. Um, and, and you just look at the tools coming out, you're talking about tech stack, and uh, that's an interesting point because like, I always use programmatic as the perfect example. Programmatic was in consumer marketing 23 years ago, and sure. it still has not caught on into the talent acquisition world. Maybe more in the US, Canada is still heavily lagging. I'm like, we're 20 years behind marketing uh, in that sense. So, completely agree. So, on tech stacks, though, um, I'm I do a couple of demos of different technology, even if I have no awesome. interest in ever buying. Yeah. I like to know, and I found it really interesting that you said exactly the same. So, <laughs> um, Let's talk about what do you really like right now? Like what technology tools that you're like, this is the bomb, this is the shit. I love this stuff. Yeah. You know, um, you know, part of it is, is there's so much, I like I'll demo about a hundred to 150 techs a year. And I've been doing that for four or five years. And so there's so much stuff and I'm I'm like, I just love it. Right. So there's, there's most of the stuff I see. I'm like, I love it. Like, this is awesome. And some of it's super narrow. Um, one of the things that I really like is, um, the ability right now, I think one of the most underutilized resources we have is our own internal database of the applicants and candidates, right? So we have this great ATS, we jam it fill with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of candidates who have said, I love you. I want to come work for you. I applied to the job. And then as soon as they get in there, if we don't hire them, we basically let them die. So they sit in this database and they die. And so a lot of the, they call it AI. It's not really AI. It's more intelligent automation. But um, a lot of this AI-based recruiting technology that will go in as soon as a job description gets put in and approved, automatically goes into your database, finds people that potentially are the right fit, reaches out to them. Maybe it was three years ago they applied and they need to get an updated resume and they'll do that automatically. And then the next day when your recruiter comes in, they literally have a hot list of three or five or 10 candidates that they should be focusing on first. Before we go out to the job boards, before we go out to LinkedIn, here's people that have already said, you know, and there's there's been a couple of organizations out there that, you know, that are working with, you know, let's say a hundred of the fortune 500. So they have a great sample size of data from their databases. And, and when I talk to their data science people, they'll say, look, a lot of these companies within their market of the people they're going to hire, they already have 70% of the applicants in their database. And yet yeah. they're just not going in there and reaching in sure. and continue to nurture those folks. And if they did, they could do some really great stuff. I agree. So what tech it- does this? Like, is there a name? Like who, um, who does this? Because uh, yeah, please. 
Yeah. Like, um, like, so I, like, if, again, if you go to timsaka.com, like shout out like to the blog, um, I write about a lot of these. Um, I, we use Luxo, um, Luxo.io here, which is a great one, super cheap. In fact, I think for one user, you can actually get it for free. Um, and they will go in and do this. Um, Eightfold is one that's out there that does it. There's Restless Bandit will do some of this. Um, there's a bunch of different ones. And even a lot of the ATSs are starting to realize like, oh, we have to do better. If we're going to collect all these people, we have to do better at, uh, at getting these people to surface back up. Um, you know, and it's, 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 a, it's a classic example of you post a job. 10 people apply, you screen some, you find three good ones, you send them to the hiring manager, you set up three interviews, they hire one. The day that you sent those three candidates to the hiring manager, an 11th person applied that's actually the best candidate. But you yeah. never, they never even smelled the process, right? Because you were like, nope, that one's off my desk, I'm gone to the next one, you yeah. know? And, but then three months, six months later, you have the same job and we go back and do the same thing. We post the job, people go and you're like, wait a minute, you have this rock star sitting there in your database that you never even acknowledged, right? That's great. And I think that's the technology that we have to do. I love, um, same thing. Most companies, if you take a look at your source of higher referrals, employee referrals is going to be a big one. And yet we still, the majority of companies do traditional employee referrals instead of employee referral automation which I think is super simple, high, super high ROI. So you have RollPoint, Teamable, JobBite, um, a lot of those kinds of technologies that are out there that do great referral automation. And if you have big HCM recruiting modules like SuccessFactors, Workday, Oracle, uh, Taleo, um, you know, there's, there's either they have or are building that internally or that you can, you can plug something in. So don't think Yet you can't because of that. And that's one of the challenges we have as a TA function industry across the world is the growth of big giant ERP supply chain systems like SAP Oracle Workday, where our organizations are going, we go to, we want to go to one platform. So we're going to go Workday for HCM. We're going to Workday for payroll. We're going to Workday for financials. We're going to Workday for ERP. And then, and then you're like, oh, by the way, we bought the recruiting module for you. Guess what? You now have Workday Recruit, which in itself is not bad technology. Is it a top of the line, best of breed ATS? It is not. Is it a recruitment marketing platform? It is not. But can it, can it push through massive requisitions and be really efficient at doing that? Sure can, <laughs> you know, yeah. it can do internal mobility really well, but there's a lot of things that it can't do that you have to go out and know the technology that you have to go and, and plug onto it, right? If I'm, if I'm a Workday mm -hmm. customer, Workday recruit customer, I need to go get a great CRM and I'm going to go talk to Beamery or one of the other, you know, yeah. great ones that are out there that have already built the integrations, right? Um, and so I think there's a lot of ways to make that. I'm not, I'm not one of those folks that's going to beat up you know, uh, an organization because they're using Taleo or they're using SAP success factors. There's a reason organizations make those choices, right? When you're hiring a hundred thousand, a million people a year, some of these smaller ATSs, while they're great tech, could never handle that, could never handle that volume, yeah. that massive amount, right? So there's a reason that the Fortune 1000 are, you know, are, use these big giant ERP systems with all these modules to actually do it. So we just have to figure out as TA leaders how to make it work. Yeah, it's funny because we talk a lot about it as far as leverage. And it goes to your earlier point that 
TA should own its tech stack. Uh, in reality, a lot of these solutions are usually chosen by the IT, CFO, the CIO, CIO or yeah. CFO. And, <laughs> I, and, I've been, yeah. and I've been in that situation where I came in for a thousand people company and they were going to implement Taleo and because it was part of the whole ERP. And I, I built a case that we shouldn't do that based on our volume. Let's leverage yeah. a top of line ATS that's going to cost us a quarter of the price that we're going to pay for that yeah. recruiting module and get a much better tool that we can leverage for recruiting and marketing. So I, I think it's a massive but, challenge. I, and Serge, I think that's the, one of the pushes I have and why I, I yeah. like you said, like I push people to demo like all the time, especially if you're HR, TA, doesn't matter. Like the best professionals in the marketplace right now in those functions know technology and they don't know in terms of they're not developers or they're not front end, back end engineers. They just know the capabilities, right? So that somebody like a CFO or a CIO can't come to them and say, oh, by the way, I bought you the best recruiting tech on the market. You go, no, you didn't <laughs> because that's not it. And let me tell you why. Boom, 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 boom. And if I go to my CEO and says, hey, is talent the number one priority in the company this year to be competitive? Yes, it is. Okay, then here's my, here's my work case and what we need, right? And right now, the vast majority can't have that conversation and they allow themselves, you know, to get really, to put, to put handcuffs on and say, oh, by the way, now go produce more um, than what you did before. And you're like, well, wait a minute, you gave me less tools and you want me to produce more. Like that doesn't work that way. Thank you. So, Tim, uh, amazing conversation uh, as far as your viewpoints. And I I love having you on the show. And and we've already said where we can kind of find you, but where can we find you? Pretty much anywhere, right? Like, so. Yeah. If you, if you literally, if you go into the Google machine and put in Tim Sackett, there's me and there's a truck driver chaplain in Minnesota. (laughs) I'm not the truck driver chaplain in Minnesota. Um, If I was the same guy, that would be really cool. But I stole all of his his SEO. So now you just basically find me. Um, so just, you can find me there. (laughs) Oh, one last thing, actually. And I forgot to mention, uh, I was, I saw at one point you mentioned the top 25 quotes, the rap quotes that have inspired you. And the number one was a biggie quote. And I found that one interesting. So I'm a massive biggie quote. Like I, the first rap album I've ever listened to was ready to die. uh, And I fell in love with rap music after and fell in love with biggie. But this is the uh, this is our new podcast, white guys talking about rap. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so your number one was Biggie oh, with no. the "More Money, More Problem," which is going to be your fadeaway song uh, on this podcast. Yes. Know. <laughs> but there's so many great Biggie quotes that I. Why did you choose that one? It's, well, I, I did it. Um, it was about the, the rap quotes that shaped my leadership style. Okay, right? fair enough. So, there, so it's not not greatest biggie quotes. It was quotes that I could put into a leadership style kind of you know presentation. Um, and I did it as like just a goof. Uh, I'm a big rap music fan, hip hop fan, um, from like starting in the '80s, right? And so, you know, there's so much of that poetry that I loved. And in the Mo Money, Mo Problems just to me was classic HR when you go to make the offer to the person who, and they just want more money, more money, more money, they end up being more problems all the time, right? The person who wants the most, your salesperson who wants the, you know, the biggest increase, like it just seems always to cause us more problems. So that was, that was number one, but there was a lot of them. And by the way, I had a Sherm um, chapter ask me to do that presentation. They're like, hey, would you be willing to do a presentation on your top 25 rap quotes? And I'm like, sure. And it sounded, I, was, I couldn't wait to get there. 
And then that realization of walking in the room and seeing like a hundred white women looking at me (laughs) (laughs) and realizing audience of Shelly, not the right audience probably for this. Hey, Shelly, have you ever listened to rap music? Are you like, I do you know I love emo. I love rap. I absolutely like that's, that's my jam for sure. Cool. It is. I know. We can start a podcast. White people, right? Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tim. Hey, thank you Tim, for having thank me. Thank you. That this has been awesome, and uh, we can get your book is on Amazon, correct? Yeah, talent, fix, talent, um, fix. go find it. Yep, I'm on that. I'm on that. Thank you so much, and uh, we hope to talk to you again. Thank yes. you, Tim. Sure, can't wait. Okay. <laughs> How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.